Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I want to ask this morning, how many here have ever taken a family vacation by car? Either driving as a parent or riding along as a kid. Okay. And what is the one question that keeps coming from the back seat the whole time? Are we there yet? Yeah. And then the other one that's very, very closely related is, how much further? How much longer? And, uh, and my dad had a standard answer for that one, by the way. It was always about an hour. Because he knew we had no clue of time passing. We just knew we were in it for the long haul. <laughs> and, and it's one thing to be on a family vacation where the, cl- the road is very clearly marked out for you. And, and there's rest stops along the way. And there's always a restaurant or a, or a motel with a clean, comfortable bed for about $50. And um, you know, a place you can stay. It's a whole lot different when your life takes a sudden turn. And unexpectedly, you find yourself on a road you didn't expect to be traveling on. And everything has changed. Nothing's the way it was, and the future is still pretty uncertain. And you find yourself in what Jeff Mannion calls the land between. Everything's up in the air. And sometimes it comes on suddenly, like with a doctor's diagnosis, or, or maybe a sudden cutback and downscaling of the job, and all of a sudden you're without a job. Sometimes, sometimes it comes on slowly as you watch a marriage begin to drift apart. Or a business that you've sunk your life savings into, go deeper and deeper in debt, and you're wondering how much longer. I don't know how to travel this road. This is unfamiliar territory for me. Maybe you've been given an assignment that you feel ill-equipped for, or maybe you've taken on a task that you didn't really want to take on, but somebody had to do it, and tag, you're it. (laughs) And you find yourself in this space that's called the land between. And it feels like a wilderness, and it feels like a desert, and you wonder, how much longer? Well, if you've ever been there, you're in good company, because we've all been there at one time or another. Maybe you're right there this morning, and where we are in the story is a very crucial part. We've been following God's redemptive story throughout um, human history, and, and how he take, takes the nation of Israel out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. He's brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he's given them a new moral code, a new way of living, and, and this, is, this is what life is meant to look like when you live in relationship with God. And they've been camped out there for about, about a year, a little over a year now, and now it's time to move out into the desert. So we're going to pick up the story If you're following along in Numbers chapter 10, uh, if you brought your copy of the story, it's page 71, if you want to follow along there. God has led them out to this place. He has made his presence known, and he has led them by a pillar of fire by night and a a cloud during the day. And so we pick up in Numbers 10.10, on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai. And traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest at the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. Past is behind them. It's unfamiliar territory. And the future is uncertain. They are in the land in between. And maybe you're there this morning. 
Because here's what I know, and here's what you know, actually, about these kind of difficult transition times in life, that either you are just coming out of one, you are smack dab in the middle of one, or you are about to head into one of them. Because they are unavoidable in life. But they are incredible opportunities. And there's some lessons, some things actually that the Israelites failed at. But we can learn from their mistakes that will hopefully make our journey a little shorter. And maybe God can do his work a little faster because we can become a little more open to it. So I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of difficult transitions, the land between. And some key, key lessons for us in this. And the first one is simply this. Recognize what's at stake. Because you're not there by accident. And this can be, this can be one of two things. This can be a place of incredible growth and development of your character and deepening of your faith. Or it can be a place where faith goes to die. That, that's what's at stake in these. Because see, when, when everything that we are familiar with gets taken away, when, when, when we get kind of thrown off kilter, what it does is it causes us to stop and kind of take an inventory of our lives. It makes us stop and realize, what is it the things that I believe in? And why do I believe those things? And, and why do I do what I do? And, and, and it, just, it just throws everything up in the air and it causes, calls everything into question. But it makes us stop and think. Because everything is different now. And it can be a place where God can mold and shape us and deepen our faith. Or we can have devastating results from it where we become cynical and embittered, angry at God, angry at other people. See, that's what's at stake. And what happens is the choices that we make in this time become so pivotal to who we become. Because God does some of his best work in the wilderness. As difficult as it is, that's where he does his best work. What God was doing with this nation of Israel was he was forming them into a community of faith. He was developing in them a people of trust. And that's really what this whole thing was about. He had rescued them from slavery. He had miraculously parted the Red Sea where they could go through on dry land. And then the sea came back and swallowed up the pursuing Egyptian army. He had shown his presence to them. He had met with Moses on top of the mountain, a cloud um, that covered the whole mountain. He gave his law to them. He, he gave them um, instructions on, on, the, on building the tabernacle where he made his presence known in a very tangible way with this cloud and this pillar of fire. In all of these ways, God had shown his presence with them. And not only that, he had shown the provision for them. When they had no water, he provided water for them. When they had nothing to eat and food was scarce, he provided this thing called manna. Now, manna, by the way, Hebrew for manna simply means, what is it? (laughs) That's what manna means. There's a whole Abbott and Costello routine that could be worked around that. What is it? Exactly. What? The food you're eating. What is it? Yes. Well, how did it get here? No, that's something else. There's a whole deal you could do with that. Not about that space. They did not know what it was, but God sovereignly provided it for them. Now, you would think, you would think if it were me and God was leading me with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud right in front of me during the day and he was showing me exactly where to go and he was making his presence, he was providing for me every single day exactly what I needed, you would think I would be grateful and I would be trusting all along the way. And you would be wrong. (laughs) Because, see, we're all just like they were. For all of God's provision, for all of his presence, for all that he provided for them, what he got in return from them was complaint. 
the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Baked manna, boiled manna, stewed manna, manna loaf, manna burgers with the side of manna, but manna bread for dessert. You know, it, just, it was just manna, manna, manna. And you would think, but that's God's sovereign provision. You should be grateful for it. But see, here's the deal. And this is one of the great problems when we're in that valley and when we're in that wilderness. There breeds in us this attitude of complaint. Grumbling. That even though God has made his presence known, even though God has provided completely for us, even though we have seen his faithfulness over and over and over again, when we find ourselves in that land between, the natural tendency is to complain. Because you are just like they are, and so am I. Jeff Mannion, in his book, The Land Between, actually writes about an experiment. As he was studying through this, he decided he was going to try an experiment just for one week to eat nothing but a toffee chocolate chip power bar. For all of his meals. Day one, Tuesday. Toffee chocolate chip power bar for breakfast. I'm not a huge breakfast person anyway. This was no such big deal. Toffee chocolate chip power bar for lunch. Not a problem. The experiment was underway. But arriving home from the office that evening, my wife Chris and daughter Sarah were cooking. The aroma of the Asian vegetable stir fry filled the house. I dutifully cut my power bar into five pieces, arranged them neatly on the plate, and took my place at the table. This was not going to be a challenge. I am a disciplined man. Day two, Wednesday. Toffee chocolate power, chocolate chip power bar for breakfast. I arrived midday at the church office for our weekly senior staff meeting. We have a ritual of bringing our lunches and eating together before we discuss church business. As I walked into the conference room, I sensed a powerful presence. Boxes of pizza beckoned from the conference table. Leftovers from the meeting that preceded ours. Help yourself, someone offered. I cheerfully declined as I surveyed the boxes, mentally noting the ingredients. Mushrooms, sausage, pepperoni. That evening arrived home for dinner, and thankfully, the house was empty. At least that night, my resolve would not have to compete with the family dining experience. I chewed on my toffee chocolate chip power bar as I sat down to read the newspaper. An advertisement from Taco Bell dropped from the pages. Retrieving the colorful ad, I surveyed the pictures and the coupons. I was beginning to cultivate a rich fantasy life. Thursday, chocolate chip, toffee chocolate chip power bar for breakfast and lunch. Thursday evening, the kids had friends over and dinner was being served outside on our deck. Burgers and brat were sizzled on the grill. Surrounded by this bounty of texture and flavor, smitten by the options, I unwrapped my unappetizing meal from its lousy wrapper. I started to rethink this experiment. Seated behind a lovely plate of food, Sarah, who was taking great delight in my misery, needled, Come on, Dad, join us. You can just tell the congregation you cracked after three days. (laughs) To my dearly beloved firstborn child, I whispered, Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) And on it went. See, even though God may provide for us and provide for us actually richly, there is this tendency to complain if we don't like the way it is or if it drags out longer than we think it should. So God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And what he did is there was a migrating flock of quail 
and he blew such a strong wind that they actually ended up right into the camp. In fact, so many that they were three feet deep throughout the camp. God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Don't you just love it? Because you have rejected the Lord. See, the thing wasn't about the food. It's that they were despising God's provision. And that's the problem with complaint and grumbling. Now, Moses, by the way, was not immune to it. He also complained. But there's a big, big difference. Moses comes to God. He says, what have I done to displease you to put this burden of these people on me? I didn't even want this job in the first place, God. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? It's like I'm carrying a bunch of babies along with me. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, here's the difference. The Israelites, as a people, were complaining about God. Moses complained to God. And there's a big, big difference. They didn't cry out to God for help. They just simply complained about what he had already provided. Moses, when he complains, he opens a conversation with God. And God can handle that. See, if you're, it, he doesn't want us to pretend that everything's hunky-dory and it's all going well. If it isn't, it's okay to voice your, your groanings and your complaint and your, and, and your frustration at God. He can handle that. But make sure that you don't just complain about what he has done and complain about him. Take your complaint to him, as raw as it might be. God can handle it. But see, when you take it to him, what you are doing is you are keeping the conversation open. You're giving God the opportunity to respond. And that's a very, very important lesson. Recognize what's at stake. Secondly, remember what's ahead. Because see, God had something bigger in mind. The wilderness was not their final destination. The wilderness is not your final destination, although it might feel like it at the time. God has something else that he's doing. He has something better in mind. Now, the nation of Israel, they knew the promises. They had been passed down from generation to generation to generation that God had come to their ancestor Abraham and had made these promises to them. And they knew, they knew all of those promises. That God had come to Abraham and said, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make into you a great nation and I will bless you. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. See, they knew the stories. They knew the promises. What they failed to realize was how it applied to them. See, it's one thing to read the Bible and read these stories and read about God's promises and God's faithfulness. It's one thing to read about all those things, but it's, it's quite another to recognize how it applies to my own life. And what happens in the wilderness is theory becomes experience. See, that's what God does through the desert times in our lives. He's taking what we think we know about him and believe about him, and he's putting it to the test to say, do we really believe that? Do we really trust him? And they lost sight of the future that God had for them, which means they put all of their focus on the present circumstances, which were miserable. And what it did was it left them for a longing for the way things used to be. 
because they began to have a clouded vision of what that looked like. They thought they had it better off back there. Fish, I remember the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the onions and the garlic, all at no cost. And you kind of want to stop them right there and say, we, yeah, but you were slaves. <laughs> no cost. You paid for it with blood, sweat, and tears. You paid for it with your lives. But you see, that's what happens. We get in the middle of the desert experience. We get in the middle of that land between, and, and, and things are difficult. And so we think back to the way it was before, and we think that was so much better. And in truth, it was not. See, the purpose of the wilderness, the purpose of the desert, the purpose of the land between is to grow your trust. See, what God was doing with this group of people was he's saying, will you trust me when water is scarce? Will you trust me when you don't like the menu? Will you trust me when it seems to be taking longer than you think it ought to take? Will you trust me when it doesn't make sense to you? Will you just trust me? Because that's the bottom line. It is all about trust. See, God was building these people and bringing them into this relationship. He was teaching them about the relationship. And every relationship is based on trust. We talked about that last week. And if they're going to move further into what God had for them in the future that he had for them, they were going to learn how, have to learn how to trust. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they never learned the lesson. Over and over and over again, shortage of water. They complain, but God provides water. Shortage of food. They complain. God provides food. They don't like the food. They complain. God provides more food. Over and over and over again. It's like God is giving them these, like these, these little pop quizzes along the way so they'll be ready for the final. <laughs> and the trouble is, they keep flunking the quizzes and they don't study and learn the lessons. <laughs> so when it comes time for the final and they get right up to the land of promise and they get ready to the place where they're about to move in and Moses sends ahead 12 spies to f- spy out the land and see what it looks like and see what the obstacles are and they come back with this report. This is what they say. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. It's as good as it was promised to be. But we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They never learned the lesson of trust. They never learned that it's not up to them. So here's the third thing. Learn to trust God through the experience. As difficult as it might be, there are lessons to be learned in the wilderness. Learn the lesson. See, the journey through the wilderness is a difficult enough thing as it is. But we often compound the problems by our own complaint and our own resistance and our own reactions and responses to it. We don't make it better. We make it worse because we are unwilling to learn the lessons. And the nation of Israel had developed this constant pattern of complaining. Complaining, God provided. Instead of being thankful, they complained some more. God provided. Instead of being thankful, they complained some more. Over and over and over again. And in their complaint, they weren't, they weren't, just, they weren't just rejecting the food. They weren't just rejecting the water. They weren't just, what they were doing was they were rejecting God. 
See, that's what Moses says to them. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat when we were better off. We were better off in Egypt. You have rejected the Lord who is among you. You have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? What they were in essence was saying in God, we were better off without you. We were better off before you rescued us. We were better off in slavery. We were better off without your presence. We were better off without your provision. We were better off as slaves with the gods of Egypt. And that's where constant complaint leads to. You develop a pattern and a habit of complaining. And instead of gratitude for what God has provided, we keep looking for what he hasn't. And in the complaint, what we're really doing is we are rejecting what God has so graciously given and provided. They became repeat offenders, and they learned nothing. So God did provide them. He provided them with an abundance of quail, so much so that it actually became spoiled meat, and some of them got sick, and some of them died. Well, where is God's grace in that? Well, because God will sometimes do that. Sometimes God will give in to our demands, but he will also allow us to suffer the consequences of them because it's the only way we're going to learn the lesson. See, that's what discipline is. Discipline is inflicting pain for a redemptive purpose. And what God was trying to do through that wilderness wandering, he was trying to head off what would eventually happen when they rejected their opportunity to move into the land of promise. They had become so accustomed to complaint, they had become so accustomed to not recognizing God's provision and God's power and God's presence and God's strength through them that when it came up to the big final exam, they had no faith because they had never learned the lessons. And the lesson of faith is, will you trust me? Will you trust me in this? And because they didn't learn the lesson, God had to do something a little more harsh. He had to bring some discipline along with it. Now, I'll tell you my own story. You may not believe this, but I was one of those strong-willed childs. I know, hard to believe. And we went on a long family vacation to Disneyland, a driving vacation. And, and, of course, this was before the days of iPads and iPods and, you know, TV entertainment systems in your minivan. It was before any of that kind of thing. So my, my version of entertainment was I was the oldest, and I got my entertainment by picking on and teasing and messing with my younger siblings, so much so that my parents actually just got totally frustrated with me. You know, they would do the behind-the-seat SWAT thing or reach down and grab and squeeze the leg real tight, you know, like get my attention. And finally, in their exasperation, they finally said, if you don't stop this, if you don't shape up, if you don't, we are, next time we take a family vacation, we are leaving you home. And, of course, I didn't stop. So sure enough, the next family vacation, everybody piled into the car I got left at grandma's house. Yeah. They meant it. <laughs> I didn't think they'd really do that. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, it was actually kind of a short little weekend trip, so it wasn't too painful. But they made sure they understood. They were serious about this, that my strong will had to be broken. 
And I needed that kind of discipline. And at the time, I thought my family hated me. They didn't love me anymore. They were all going on vacation and leaving me behind. How can you treat your son like that? Your your firstborn son. (laughs) They did it because they loved me. And no discipline, no discipline seems fun at the time. It's always painful. You see, God only disciplines his children because he loves them. And you might be in that land in between. And it might, be, it might be a discipline thing. It might not be. It might just be something that life happens and you find yourself at this stage in your life. But God can still work in it no matter what. Now, what happened with the nation of Israel is God finally said, okay, this group of people are never going to get it. <laughs> this is the slow learners class. We're going to wait for a new crop of students. And so for another 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until that whole generation died away. And a new generation came up. And God led them back through, that, through those same disciplined stories and brought them back to that land of promise and right to the entrance. And Moses stood before the people And he said to them, now, remember your forefathers and remember your ancestors and remember how God provided, how he took you out of slavery, how he brought you and made you into a nation, how he gave you the law because he loved you, how he led you and how he's provided for you all through all of your lifetime. Remember all of these things. He went through and laid it all back out, went through the whole history, all the way through, right back for the second generation so they would have learned the lessons that their parents didn't learn. And then he leaves them. He leaves them with these last words. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Here's the choice. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. (laughs) Choose life. Life. Whatever you're going through, you have a choice. And all God is saying to you is in the middle of whatever is going on in your life that you don't understand and it seems so uncertain, just trust me, choose life. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.